Hello, everyone. Today, I'm excited to welcome Jill Hassan to the Authors on Mission podcast. Jill is an accomplished author of over 38 books. Oh, my God. And the, these books are on personal and professional development, mental health, mindfulness, and relationships. Her best-selling title include Mindfulness, Emotional Intelligence, and the Sunday Times hit, How to Deal with Difficult People. In addition to writing, Jill has over 20 years of experience teaching and training on well-being topics. She delivers workshop, workshops and courses for organizations and businesses. And um, Jill also writes frequently for publications like Psychologies and Women's Health. And today we will be discussing Jill's work empowering both adults and children to boost their confidence realize their potential and maintain positive relationships and we'll also go behind the curtains of our book writing publishing and marketing process so it's wonderful to have you on the show jail thank you all right so 38 books like i just like i thought that you have published 20 books but i just got to know before we started the recording that yeah. you have published 38 books like so when did you publish your first book like which year okay so that was 15 years well, 2009 so yeah what, what are we 13 14 years ago yeah yeah so so i would say i can i uh, at one point i at my busiest i could write three in a year Generally, I've written two in a year, but eight of those 30 books were children's books and they were a lot quicker to do. Yeah. And was it all of a sudden that, okay, so I want to write a book and you started writing a book or you were thinking yeah. about this for yeah. two years or months? Uh, it, it never occurred to me to write a book. Engli English was my favorite subject at school. Okay. Um, but I never saw it going anywhere. That that was fine. I just really enjoyed English, English language. I loved reading, reading books. Um, and then, but it was after I'd had two of my children that I thought, actually, I want to study and, and sort of have a career because I hadn't really had one before that. I'd been traveling in Europe, working in Europe and America just having a, a fine old time and I thought okay by my mid-30s time to get serious so I did um, a course that we call here in the UK an access course and that's a course for people who are thinking about maybe going to study in higher education but don't have the qualifications to do that so I did the access course and what really inspired me about that was we were all mature students, people in our 20s and 30s, and we were helped and encouraged to see that we all had potential to go on to do a degree. That's, that's not necessarily that everybody should be doing that, but we all had the intellect, the intelligence and the cognitive abilities to do that. So the course involved study skills and developing our confidence 
and helping us be more focused on what, what we might want to do in the future as a career. So I then went on and did a degree in social anthropology, which was great. That brought together all my sort of previous traveling experience, looking at um, different people's cultures, ideals, beliefs, values, histories. But it was the access course that had inspired me the most. So after the degree, I trained to become a teacher for adults and worked in what we call here community education. So that's working in communities who have probably got high levels of deprivation and people are tra traditionally not keen on coming even to the buildings where universities and colleges are. So you take the education out to them, you take courses to them, quite easy entry level courses, again around building confidence, might be child development and childcare that people are interested in, ways into work. And out of that, what interested myself and a colleague was the fact that for a lot of people, you can give them all the support and encouragement and information, and they just fly. They're like, yeah, and now I know what I want to do and where I'm going to go with this. And other people would say, yeah, but you know, this has happened to me in my life and that has happened. And so myself and Sue, my colleague, we were interested in, well, how come then you give people the same information, ideas and encouragement, and some fly and some don't. Well, what's the difference? So we looked at the research around this, and it was around the idea of resilience. So not just bouncing back from difficulties, as a lot of these people had, but also being able to cope during difficulties and challenges. And the research showed that you have to have sort of certain things in your life, sort of social and personal attributes. So an ability to see the positive in difficult situations, to have goals, to be able to reach out for support and help, uh, to have, yeah, to, to give other people support and help. There's sort of about 14 of these. They're all based around some work by a professor called Emmy Werner from University of California. And so we thought that absolutely reflects what we're seeing. Those people that fly have a lot of these uh, sort of attributes and those that don't. So what we need to do is help people develop resilient attributes. Mm -hmm. And we devised a program for that and then thought, you know what, there's a book in this. And I just, with no experience whatsoever of publishing, just approached a book publisher emailed them and said this is the work myself and my my colleague are doing we think that there's a book in it a sort of like how to be resilient type of book because i'd approached the publishers that i knew would publish these type of books and to our utter surprise they said yes we'd be interested come up to london and talk to us and that's how we wrote our first book it, it didn't sell much but we weren't interested in that. We were just so excited to write a book the book and see the yeah. publishers. And then the publisher said, the editor said, okay, so what what else, what do you teach? What what is it you do that people most respond to? And we said, Oh, that's easy. People love courses and classes on assertive communication. And she said, that's your next book. So we went, okay, then. And that one sold. So it took off from there. Got it. Awesome.
So how many publishers did you reach out or did you just reach out to one and then they said yes? <laughs> I just reached out to one and then, I mean, it sounds like a fairy story, but I, I yeah, I looked at, and this is advice I give to lots of people, yeah. look for a publisher that's publishing the type of book that you write. Mm -hmm. So that's the first step. So I, myself and Sue wrote two more books with them and then we both had ideas separate ideas for books which was fine we hadn't fallen out but we just had different ideas and they were happy for us to write separately and then my our editor left and and the thing is I, I was writing for Pearson which I didn't realize until we started writing for them that they're one of the biggest publishers in the world I had no idea I'd stumbled across huge publishers and so the next book I had an idea for a book on mindfulness but my editor has left and very often your relationship with the publishers is with your editor yeah and uh, it was sort of difficult to pin someone else down so I just did exactly the same thing I went into a bookshop and looked at publishers that published books around personal development Good. And I thought I found one that was local. It turned out they were an imprint of Wiley, who are huge American publishers. Yeah. And uh, I said, Look, I've got this. You haven't. You, I see you on your book list. You do not have a book on mindfulness, and I think this is, you know, quite a big thing now. This was ten years ago, and uh, they went, Yeah, actually, we'd like to meet you and talk to you. And then I started writing for Wiley Capstone and. Did mo most of my books actually have been with them, although I have been approached by a couple of other publishers and done things specifically for them. But generally, my relationship has been with them all this time. It's actually a really great insight. Like if you are going with a traditional publisher, then going in a bookstore, finding out different books and specifically in your niche, in your topic, find out who are the list of publishers and find out some local publishers and reach out to them. Like. Do you call them or do you email them exactly what the process looks like for you? Well, <laughs> most publishers, if you go onto their website, if you've got, they say, if you've got an idea for a book, we're not interested. Don't, don't contact <laughs> us. You All need right. to go to, a pub, they, they say you need to go to an agent. I, my experience and advice, and I'm, I can only go by my own experience and what I've yeah. learned is that it's i think it's probably even harder to find a an agent than it yeah. is to find a publisher and so what i do is i i mean i do this with writing for magazines i do this for anybody and everybody I, i'm also a career coach and this is this is what i advise people to do in any industry that you want to get into so for example if i wanted to find out who the commissioning editors were in a particular publication uh, you have to be a detective i will do <laughs> things like just first of all simply google commissioning editor for and then the name of the publisher and often that will come up or there will be news in the trade magazine the bookseller saying you know susan smith now commissioning editor has now left this organization is now with this publication and she's now the new commissioning editor so uh, there we go I've got a name and then I go on LinkedIn 
and find that person and then I message them direct or I will go to the publishers and look what their generic email address is and then guess that let's say it's the person's name then a dot then their surname I think okay well let, let's let's try that and nobody no commissioning editor is going to reply to you with how dare you approach me yeah of course. why they're not going to answer you uh, and that's fine you know you, you have to expect that you've you've approached them unsolicited or they are going to get back to you and I've had that they've got back to me and gone oh actually yeah hi thanks for getting in touch because so few people take that route they actually don't get that many emails that way so I've, I've let out a secret there it, it's it's worth a try <laughs> yeah I, I love it actually um, so usually the, the traditional approach is people look for agents and then agents yeah. reach out to traditional publishers and then they apply to different publishers uh, but the process is actually very, very long. Finding an agent and the agent finding out uh, the pub, other publisher, then there's a communication gap as well. Uh, I think agent also takes some cut. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the bottom line is for my books, nothing's changed in what I get paid. I get paid four thousand pounds for a book. And then they have to sell 4,000 before I then get a pound a copy in royalties. So if I sell or if they sell 10 books, I make 10 pounds or $10, which, you know, which very similar. If I sell a million books, I'm going to make a million dollars. But, you know, that that's how very cut and dried and simplistic it is. Um, yeah. So, so do you get, for example, 4,000 pounds per book? Do you get it in advance or after the book sells copies? Okay, so yeah, you get it in advance. Most, yeah, most publishers, you get half of it when you sign the contract and then you get the yeah. other half when you submit the manuscript. Hmm, great, okay. And after 4,000 pounds, you get one pound per book, right? Yeah, pretty much. It's sort of 10% of sales. So, so if the book is $10 to 10 pounds, I generally get about a dollar or, or a pound per book. So, yeah, that that obviously in one respect doesn't sound a lot. But as I say, if you sell a million, then not that I've sold a million, but, you know, you can see where some of these uh, huge names like J.K. Rowling with the Harry Potter series, for example, is making unbelievable amounts of money. Right. So do you get uh, 4,000 pounds every book? or does it vary? Yeah. No, it's pretty much that standard. And, you know, and unfortunately, that was the first book I wrote was in 2009. And uh, there's not been any increase. It's, it's just like so many other industries, you know, the money's just not there. It's so competitive. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's, I could ask for more, but then it sort of swings and roundabouts really because then if I said well I want five six seven thousand pounds if the book doesn't sell great that that's another thing to know that if, if the book doesn't sell you still get to keep that advance but if the book does sell you've got to um, it, it's got to earn out as we as it's called it's got to earn out its advance so then I'd have to sell seven thousand copies before not I would have to but the publishers would have to sell 7,000 mm. copies before I would then get royalties. So, and there's no real 
way of knowing. Obviously, if you ask yeah, for more yeah. money, it doesn't sell. You've made you've made money, and it's not your problem. They've lost out. Hmm. So, what do you think? Out of thirty-eight books, how many books actually makes more than four thousand pounds, and then you start getting royalties after that as well? I would say they've all. You know, some of them have taken a couple of years to make royalties. My most my most successful one was the Mindfulness Pocket Book, which has over the years, not all at once, over the years yeah. sold over a hundred thousand. Awesome. Yeah, so that's you know, but then as I say, you know, if that if that's if that's over ten years, obviously that's you know, ten thousand a year, which is great, but it's you know, yes. it doesn't exactly pay the bills. You you've got to have the other mm. stuff going on. Yeah. And usually when do they pay you? Like every year? Every six months. No, every it's pretty standard that every six months you get paid in September and you get paid in March. Okay, got it. So have you also explored self publishing or you just want to stick with traditional publishers? I wouldn't I wouldn't go anywhere near self publishing because the only place you're going to be able to put it is on Amazon and why on earth would your book come up amongst anybody else's I'm I'm not saying that's not a thing for people to do but I'm not interested in selling I'm interested in writing so although my the, you know it's with the most the most active marketing that I've experienced has been with Capstone, who are the imprint of Wiley. So they're my they've been my main publishers. They really go all out to promote my books, um, to get them into bookshops, because that's the other thing that that's something that I learned with my very first book with Sue was that we were told that 97% of books never get onto a bookshelf. And, oh, I think and more than that. that. And we, we just were like, what? What do you mean? And then when you think about how many books are published each year, it's impossible. I mean, and, and that was yeah. 12, 13 years ago. And since then, more bookshops have closed. So you're entirely reliant on online sales and either you do your own marketing or you have a publisher and, and Capstone have been brilliant at that. They've got me on TV, on radio, on podcasts, on Great. all sorts of things. Awesome. Um, got it. So um, do they also provide some sort of cracking in terms of how many sales you're getting for every books? Well, the yeah. physical online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you get you get access to uh, your own sort of web page that that tells you exactly how much has been sold and yeah, what percentage. Not not necessarily where they've been sold. I mean, I could I could talk to marketing about that just because you know because I mean if I was interested. But um, yeah, that's sort of their job. But yeah, I can always you know I could go right now and and look at how many of a particular book have sold got it okay perfect so uh what was um like out of all of these 38 books um of course there are some of the books that were for children's book and some of them for adults yeah. what do you think which book is the 
closest to your heart or the most special one for you and why? Oh, oh that's an interesting question. Uh, I suppose the ones where I've learnt quite a lot myself. So I've probably written one, two, three, four, five books on mindfulness. And with each one, I felt like I learned and understood mindfulness more and more. And so that's been interesting and something that I mean, I've been referred to as an expert on mindfulness and I thought, no, I'm not. I'm absolutely not. But with the last book that I wrote a couple of years ago on mindfulness, I really felt like, Do you know what? I really feel I totally understand the whole concept of mindfulness now. I've been continually learning. And yeah, so if somebody did say I was an ex I wouldn't call myself an expert, but if someone else said that I was, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say no no I'm not so mindfulness emotional intelligence was something I knew nothing about until I started researching and writing it I found that really really interesting the the biggest sort of my, from mindfulness I learned about the concept of beginner's mind which was just like amazing and from emotional intelligence I learned that all emotions have a positive intent and again that was like wow so understanding unpicking all of those two concepts and understanding those I found really yeah interesting fascinating got it okay and uh, you also talk about confidence a lot and you've also published some books about confidence yeah. For you, exactly what is confidence and is it just uh, talking to other people confidently or is it something else? Like for you, what is confidence? Yeah, I think there's a natural confidence where you do something that you've developed a skill and you don't really think about it. So so you might be a, a confident driver. You You haven't really aimed to be a confident driver, but you passed your test, you've driven for quite a while and you realize it's just something that you are I, th I think a lot of things in life you naturally have to do quite a lot of you practice it doing it I mean even you know brushing your teeth so when my four-year-old grandchild is here she does I'm not confident in her brushing her teeth quite honestly and you know she, and she's it's sort of a bit all over the place but of course we all now get a toothbrush and don't even think about it we so there's a there's the personal confidence that comes about from practicing something without aiming to be confident in that we just do it so often that we become confident in it then there's the confidence that you actually have to aim for and build we talk about building confidence and building self-esteem and that that sort of confidence comes from a belief that you can do something rather than absolute knowledge that you can so let's take driving again if you ask me to drive around London was I confident that I could drive through London I would say not really I've never done it before so I can't know for certain but I'm 
I, I sort of believe that I might get a bit stressed and panicked. So then if I'm not confident in something, I've got to find ways to build that confidence. So obviously I might say, well, I'd feel more confident if I had someone else in the car with me or I'd feel more confident if I just use a sat now. So that type of confidence is confidence that you've got to be aware that it's where, how do I feel about this? What, what do I believe about my abilities here? And it's fine not to be confident in something, but it's looking at, okay, so where are the gaps? What, what are the solutions here? How can I, how can I strengthen my beliefs in my ability to do this? What what do I need to do? So I think it's within us all to, to build our confidence in areas that yeah are important to us. You know, I'm not I'm not in the slightest bit interested in becoming a soccer player. So if somebody said, you know, are you confident about being a soccer player? I go, No, I'm not, and I'm not interested in being one. So don't even ask me to go there. So, you know, we build confidence, we look to build confidence, hopefully, in things that are important to us and that we really want to achieve. And uh, before we started the recording, you also mentioned that you were able to write 38 books because of confidence. Uh, can you yeah. talk more about it? Uh, because 38 books is, yeah. is not a joke. Like, people struggle to even write <laughs> just one book. Like, so how did confidence play uh, a major role in writing these number of books? Yeah, I think it was because when I did the degree, I was 34 when I started, so three years doing a degree, and there's essay writing involved in that. So yeah. English had always been my favourite thing at school. So, you know, I enjoy writing, thinking and writing. But what I recognised was, was that it, it wasn't easy, it was a struggle. But it's, again, about developing skills and strategies that work for you. I, I learned what type of learner I was, what worked best for me. I'd reflect on so what went well there with, with writing that essay, what didn't go so well. I recognised that in order to, I had all, all my own different ways of doing things. And then when I finished the degree and I actually went back to that university I was asked to teach study skills and what interested me was that people would often go oh you see the thing is I have to write things out you know like I'll, I'll write down some ideas and then I'll, I'll try and pull it together and, and write out what I think I mean but then that's not right so then I write it again and then something else occurs to me so then I have to write it again and 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 then I and then finally I write it another time and you know it takes me five times and I say yeah well that's normal and they go what I go that's part of the process that's all part of the writing process and the only difference between me and you is I know that and I accept it it is yeah. a pain yeah. yeah but on the other hand it's the process but I don't undermine myself and sabotage myself by constantly going oh I still haven't got it right I'm still not sure what I mean I just think no that's okay it, it will come to you come back to it so I learned that lots of things, like, like with research, and again, when I'm researching books, I often read stuff that I think, I haven't got a clue what, I do not understand this. What on earth 
does this piece of writing mean or this piece of research and I can spend ages rather than go oh, I'm obviously stupid I don't understand this I just think it's fine you're just gonna have to try and find ways to unpick this and get your head around what what this what this means it's not you it's how someone else has written something that you, is making it difficult for you to understand. So again, it's about my it's about practice and my belief that I do have strategies and ways of, of, of doing things, writing. So when it comes to writer's block, I never get writer's block because the second I get it, the second I think, what is it I'm trying to say here? Uh, wait a minute, let me just, maybe if I put it this, no, that's not right. Okay, what about, am I trying to say, wait a minute, what did I say here? So what am I, do you know what, forget it, move on. I just, because I absolutely know that when I come back to it the following day, or whenever it is that I come back to it, it all starts to become clearer again. It's all part of a process. You write, you rewrite, you read, you reread, you re research it's a bit like doing a jigsaw puzzle you've got all this stuff so if you were doing a part of a jigsaw where you thought I just can't work out how this part all fits together just leave it go and do another part that's easier yeah yeah, yeah of course we'll back yeah. to it mm, love it so for you usually how do you start writing a book like do you start with research first and then creating the outline and then start working on the book or do you have another completely different process yeah i i think i was well in fact i know how we first started to do it sue and i when we wrote the first book we thought okay so this is going to be like a course so a six-week course Let's say this was a six chapter book. So if it was a course, what would we do in the first week? What would we do in the second? So I we approached structuring a book in exactly the same way. And I've done it like that ever since. I've thought, OK, so what are the main things that I probably want to do here? So I have always a first chapter that is sort of defining terms so so if it was on assertiveness it would be defining what assertiveness is what assertiveness isn't other forms of communication I would describe what aggressive and passive communication is what also what passive aggressive communication is so emotional intelligence I would be explaining all that in the first chapter in the same way I was would if it was a course so people are fully conversant with all the terms then I always go on to, so what's the problem here? What stops us from being emotionally intelligent or what stops us from being assertive or confident or or mindful or whatever it is? So that's acknowledging and validating the sort of things, you know, and I, I will have learned what the problems and difficulties are for myself. I would have talked to friends. You know, I remember with the book, with the book on assertiveness, I asked a friend, uh, what, how would you define assertiveness? He said, it's about shouting loudly and carrying a big stick. <laughs> <laughs> I put into the book, I just said, no, Andy, that's absolutely not what it's about, but it is very amusing. And it, and it does show that, that actually, I mean, he was joking as well, but yeah. 
it showed that yeah some people have different ideas about what a particular concept is so back to how i structure a book i start with defining the terms the second chapter is usually about what the difficulties and problems are and then the next few chapters are sort of how to be emotionally intelligent or more mindful or uh, confident or, or whatever it is and what i do is so I have a loose idea of what all the chapters are going to be. And then I just put down every idea I can think of. I literally brainstorm. I empty my head of, right, so in the first chapter, and I will look things up. I'll do a bit of research. I just get it all down. I don't think about how I'm phrasing anything. Then I go to the back to chapter one and again go, right, what have I got here? and okay so what is it i'm trying to explain here what is missing wait a minute why is that in that chapter that should be no i probably put that in chapter three actually don't know why i've got that here so i just keep continually going to each chapter writing as i say if i get stuck i just think move on don't don't get hung up on this move on to the next bit there's always something else to move on to and then I get to the last chapter, then I go back again and edit and refine and research. I might, it's, it's, I have to write pretty much every day or do something to do so that it's in my head continually. I don't go around constantly thinking about what I'm writing about, but it's within my consciousness. So I'll also be more aware of things in life it might be something i see on tv listen to on the radio something a friend says something i see in the street that i think huh, there's an example of something that i'm currently writing about so i i'm i'm you know i'm, I'm always aware of whatever the subject is that i'm writing about so it's always sort of with me while i'm writing it and it just carries on until it's it's finally i'm finally happy with each chapter that yeah but I just keep going back again like a jigsaw puzzle I'll go back to that part that's all blue sky for example and go okay let me see if I can get a bit more in there and then I'll get stuck and I think right move on move on to the bit where there's trees or, or there's buildings in in the jigsaw great and how do you come up with ideas how do you know that this is going to be my next book. Um, does your publisher come to you and tell you that, okay, you should write about this, or you get feedback from your readers, or you get reviews, and based on that, you make the decision. Or while writing a book, you come to know, oh, I should also write about this topic. How, how do yeah. you do it? So, yeah, it's partly, some books have been my idea and some books have been my publisher's ideas. If they've been my publisher's ideas, then they've analysed what does and doesn't sell. Something I learned from publishers early on or from editors was that some books are commissioned because it's the genre at the moment. So, for example, again, let's go back to Harry Potter. When Harry Potter was first published, Every publisher wanted to jump on the bandwagon of witches and wizards yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so everybody was, you know, hiring people to write those. Other times it's it's like, no, there's already lots of books out there on that particular subject. And we don't think there's a gap in the market for you to do something on that. 
so it's either because it's a very popular subject at the moment or the other extreme is because no one's writing on it at the moment so the first book i wrote on mindfulness yeah there were books out there but nothing particularly recent i'd spotted that there was a gap i thought i keep reading a lot in magazines about mindfulness and the publisher said yeah you're right that you know we we haven't got it in our list and we think it's the next big thing but then I got asked to write more books because that book sold so well and everybody was starting to write about mindfulness. So it's either because it's it's the subject of the moment or it's because there's a gap and they realise, hey, hang on, this might be the next big thing, which, of course, is the same in the music industry. You know, they, they always want the next big thing. So yeah. they're hoping that you're going to take you on with something. But, yeah, so it's either them or it's me. And if it's me, it's yeah, just because I don't know, maybe it's intuitive. I pick up on something. The book that I wrote on how to deal with difficult people came about because all the courses, workshops I've done on assertiveness, people come on those sort of courses because they they say, oh, you know, I, my boss is really difficult or my mother-in-law or my sister or, or, or you know, our neighbours or they and they conceive of other people as being the difficulty. But what occurred to me and, and so they conceive of them as being difficult. So they want to learn how to be more assertive with them. But what had occurred to me with all of this was. Yeah, but whoever it is that we find difficult, usually those people have got friends. They don't find them difficult. Right. So what is it? So actually, maybe the difficulty is with our ability to deal with those particular people. So I said to my editor, I've got an idea for another book. It's going to be called How to Deal with Difficult People. And, it, and it's mm. really going to be another assertiveness book. Yeah. And he said, yeah, but you, we could call it that. But I went, no. It it will absolutely sell because of the title, How to Deal with Difficult People. I really feel that that's, I've hit on something here. So he relented and went, all right, you can call it that. And it, yeah, it was a Sunday Times bestseller. It sold really well. And whenever I told anyone, people would say, what are you writing at the moment? I go, oh, a book I'm calling How to Deal with Difficult People. Every single person went, oh, well, I'm buying that. My God, you should see my mother-in-law or my manager or, you know, everyone seemed to have a difficult person in their life. Yeah, I I get it. Get it. So do you still do courses and workshops? Yes, I do. Uh, I do a lot of, you know, since COVID, well, like, you know, for everybody, COVID changed something in their lives. And so... Of course, workshops online on during lockdown became a massive thing. And what yeah. a lot of organizations, training organizations have found is, is that, you know, it's it's obviously something that they can, you know, you don't have to be there in person and they they can sell online things all over. So I've worked for a few organizations that do online workshops. So they're either live or they're recorded. I don't do as much community education anymore because unfortunately in the UK the government's pretty much pulled all the funding from all of that so it's you know the irony is the how many people are 
suffering with mental health problems now and yet yeah they can they can buy books they can maybe access help through their doctor or but the you know the sort of courses that would have maybe helped prevent them from even becoming ill in the first place help them manage better that all the funding for that has gone so it's a shame because i i really like those courses with local people uh, six-week course you know the group dynamic everyone getting to know each other and being supportive and encouraging but unfortunately those days have gone yeah and if you were to compare your life before books like before 2009 and after you have published 38 books what has changed like how your books have impacted your personal and professional life um that's interesting. I like when I was just teaching, that was great. I really enjoyed that. Teaching when I was teaching and writing, so I was still teaching as well, working in the community, running workshops and classes. That was great because I was working with groups with people, which I really enjoy, but also having time on my own to think and write. So so you know, I enjoyed that balance now uh, yeah I'm trying to think before that yeah I, I suppose my life has been you know as I say in my 20s I did a lot of traveling in my 30s I had children and then studied so I don't feel that like I had a proper career till I was 40 so I started teaching at 40 wrote my first book when I was 50 um, so I, I suppose I just see different stages of my life. I, I, I sort of don't particularly compare. I, I'm just very aware that we, you know, for so many of us, we go through different stages. Life moves on. My children have grown up. I've got grandchildren now. So it's just, yeah, the different stages. Got it. And um, what kind of suggestions are tips and tricks you have for aspiring writers like who are struggling to write their first book? Um, I think you've not, you've got to look at what other people are writing. Don't try and copy them, but just be inspired by other, other writers. That That's the main thing. And think that if they can do it, so can you. I think share your writing. Uh, don't don't foist all your writing onto friends who aren't in the slightest bit interested but you know join writers groups that's a that's a really good thing to do uh, as i said you know yeah approach publishers try and find commissioning editors yes maybe find an agent but that's not necessarily the way to go know that you get a lot of no's you know with the children's books it took me two years to find a publisher for the that series it was not relevant that i was already a published author it, it took a long time and sometimes what you're writing is not quite right and you know i've had feedback on that you know that we really liked it but it's not quite right for us because we've got this agenda here and so you can't know what is and what isn't going to be right the other thing that's changed a huge amount in recent years in the last five years is and I don't have this but you know I have to say I am more at the end of my career than at the beginning is if you can have 
build a large social media platform because what publishers are interested in now is that you come with a ready-made market yeah so if if you had 250,000 or more followers for something something that you do or, or write about or whatever your interest it is then what publishers see is that you've already got 250,000 potential buyers of your book so right. I, I mean that unfortunately that's the way publishing is going it's mm. it's hugely competitive and you know if, if you're you write a book even if they really like it they've got to they've got to try and find a load of buyers out there but if if they really like it and you've got a an audience yeah exactly yeah. got it so you know, what do you think what's the main difference between writing books for adults and writing children's book like how do you approach writing these two different genres I think because the children's books came about because my editor asked me at Capstone asked me to write a book on managing anxiety and that's I would say that a lot of the things that I write about I'm not I'm not an expert on I've said this already mm. and I'm not an expert on anxiety although as I say in the beginning of the book my mum has always been anxious that all her life so I grew up living with an anxious person and myself and my sister and, and, and my dad would, would constantly spend our time managing her anxieties so I had some personal experience but I had to research it it's I'm not a psychotherapist I'm not a professional mental health worker so you know I had to be very careful to, to find out all the sort of facts and latest information from established organizations mental health organizations I spoke to a friend who'd suffered from anxiety a lot so I did a lot of research and at the end of it oh one of the things I do is I always look at well, what other books out are there out there on what I'm writing about I just go on Amazon see what are the best sellers on that subject and I saw that there was a best-selling book for children on managing anxiety and worry and it had been published quite a few years before but was still selling loads and I thought that's interesting I wonder what's so good about that so I ordered a copy read it and thought mm, there's information in there and ideas and suggestions that I actually just wouldn't agree with and I, I have had three kids I've had training around child development and child psychology I used to teach yeah. a lot of that and I thought no that's I reckon now that I know a lot from having written the, ch ch the book on anxiety for adults I reckon I could dash off a book on managing anxiety for children easily and I, I literally did it in a week I mean you know it's 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 only about how many words would it be I don't know Oh, 500 words a thousand words at the most you know it's very different from a 45,000 word book for yeah. adults so it was more of a personal project that and I gave it to two nieces one who has children and one who is a teacher I said what do you think of this be honest mm -hmm. and they both said oh you've got some great ideas and approaches there so 
you know, that's when I pro I finally came across a publisher, someone actually said to me, you know what, you know, some publishers, they're not interested in a single book. They want to know if there's the potential for a series. Series, yeah. Yeah, I went, oh, right, okay. So then the next few publishers I approached, I said, you know, here's my idea for a book. I can send you the manuscript straight away. And I, if you were interested, I could also write books on managing, for children on managing, not just worry and anxiety, but I could write a book, for example, on managing anger, managing being teased and bullied, managing jealousy. So, and that's when a publisher went, oh, yeah, great. Well, that would be brilliant if you've got an idea for a series. Then this How to Cope With series started? Yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah. They, yeah. they said, uh, you know, we'll find, need to find an illustrator. And I said, well, my, one of my closest friends is an illustrator, sent some of her stuff. And they went, oh, no, it's not quite right. And then I knew someone else. And they went, wow, his stuff's amazing, but not right for this book. Mm -hmm. And then they contacted my illustrative, illustrating agencies and said, mm, what do you think about this? We're not happy. And I went, well, no. And then I went, went on Amazon and just looked at, well, who are the, you know, who are successful illustrators and looked at, found one that I thought, I really like that style. I said, what about this person's style? We could maybe get someone to do it in this sort of style. And they said, no, we'll contact her directly. Um, so they did. And she agreed to illustrate the book, which was great. Oh, great. So when you work with publisher, they take care of like editing, proofreading, illustration, publishing and distribution, right? Okay. So they take care yeah. of everything. You just have to focus on writing. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and that's, yeah, that's what I enjoy doing. I'm with the marketing, as I think I've said that you know, if, if my my publisher Capstone would say, "Oh, we've set up this interview for you," or uh, "Would you write this article for this magazine?" and they're going to mention your book at the end of it. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do all that if I'm asked, but I. I don't want to be the one that's trying to find all those sort of marketing opportunities. Do you also, like, have you ever got contacted by some of your readers saying maybe thank you emails or messages? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, I've had some most touching Tell Wonderful, me about it. Lovely. Yeah, well, one of them, for example, that I remember very clearly is a young man who was a, a, a jockey for, you know, horse racing. And he, I think he was only about 19. And he wrote to tell me that he'd had a fall and it had knocked him back. He was physically injured. It had totally knocked his confidence. Mm -hmm. um, but then someone had bought him one of my books on positive thinking and he said it, it absolutely changed everything and he's literally back in the saddle and uh was you know becoming a, a successful horse 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 racing jockey that 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 one really stood out to me others Special. yeah yeah because i was just like wow that never even occurred to me that you know that you just don't know who's reading your books, but people yeah. from all over the world. I get one or two emails a month 
people sometimes you know people have gone through real awful periods in their life and and they'll tell me that you know a lot of personal problems and situations relationships difficulties and they'll write to tell me that they've read one of my books that they found really helpful and and open their eyes to things and one of the main thing i get and i think this i've seen this on amazon as well with reviews is and this is what i aim for always when i write is people always say how clear and simply that i write not not in a way that's condescending or patronizing but mm. that i really explain things well and make things really understandable and I do that. I do it for myself because I think if I can't understand it, how on earth do I expect anyone else to? So that's what I mentioned earlier about sometimes I'll read some research, a bit of academic research, and I'm like, I, what? I don't understand. Wait a minute. So 20 million people were in it. Yeah, but how? So I, I think it's because I struggled at school in different areas. And when I don't understand something, I have something, you know, I'm exaggerating, but, you know, near to a panic attack. I'm hopeless at maths. So as soon as someone starts talking maths to me or anything to do with computers, I just start freezing and, and you know, getting into a cold sweat. So I, I just, that you know, the thought that other people are like that, that they read something and think, I don't understand it clearly i'm stupid no it's not the case someone else hasn't explained it properly to you that that's the thing or they haven't learned something about you that's helped them to explain it more clearly to you maybe someone else would understand it but so that's been my my real thing is to explain things clearly and simply and that's as well as being helpful to people, the main thing that people say to me is, oh, you explain things so clearly. You, you've explained something to me in a book that I've never understood before, and now I totally mm -hmm. get it. And we've also experienced this in, for example, when we are studying in high school, and some of the subjects we hate. We don't hate those subjects because of the subject. We hate it because of the teacher like who is teaching yeah. it. And he's yeah, and the, the, the and he's teaching it such a way that it makes it so boring that we we don't wanna yeah. we don't wanna go through that. But then suddenly when you move to the next class or another class and you get a yeah. new teacher and they explain it in so easy to understand way, you get to say, oh oh my god, this is like yeah. like this is really interesting. Like I've also experienced it. And same goes with the with the books as well and the research paper. Like they're somehow they're designed it in such a way that it is not for normal people. That's why authors yeah. like you, like who simplify it and write it in such a way that it can be accessible to people like us, like normal readers. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, you're so you're so right about the teacher bit. Yeah, one one year you yeah you you think you have a subject you think I just don't understand this I can't do this I'm hopeless at it and the following <laughs> year yeah you're, you're inspired and it's the teacher it, it's okay. it's yeah great awesome so jill it was so great chatting with you i have learned so many things from you especially like how to reach out to traditional publishers how to get traditional publishing deal 
you shared some strategies, some secrets, like how you go to bookstores and find their email address and how you reach out to them. I think our listeners are going to get so much value out of this show. So thank you so much for sharing all of those secrets, those tips and tricks um, for the aspiring authors. And thank you thank so much you, for... Vikram. Yeah, all right. Thank you so much, Jill. Thanks, Vikram. No, I've really enjoyed chatting. You, you know, you <laughs> asked me some interesting questions. It's been fun. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for your time, Jill. Bye-bye, Sia. Okay. Bye-bye.